0: To Colossians chapter 4 for our first reading. Colossians chapter 4, verse 1. Hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired Word of God. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal knowing that ye also have a master in heaven continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving withal praying also for us that god would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of christ for which i am also in bonds that i may speak that i may make it manifest as i ought to speak walk in wisdom Toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you. For the same purpose that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you. And Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom he received commandments, if he come unto you receive him, and Jesus, which is called Justice, who are of the circumcision. These only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and them in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church which is in his house. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. The salutation by the hand of me, Paul. Remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of His Most Holy Word, so we come to the final chapter of this wonderful little book, Colossians. Um, it is my opinion that the chapter break is ill placed here; that this first verse belongs to chapter three to finish up the discussion of those, of that domestic institution of of you know slavery or servanthood. And so we have uh, masters then. And they're spoken of very uh, very directly, uh, Paul speaks very directly to them. Give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Well, there are several implications that come springing forth from that, right? The first is what? Well, that there is no authority that is an absolute authority except God's. God alone is Lord of the conscience. And so masters are brought under the dominion of that uh, of that uh, overarching sovereignty of God that in their commands and counsels to those that are under authority, they will, they will remember or must remember that they have to give account for that. They will give account as to their leadership. Um, very often we, we talk about, uh, uh, especially in our day, we seem to want to speak about being the champions of the oppressed. That authority tends to corrupt. Well, let's remember, first of all, that authority comes from God. It is, it is a part of his economy to have certain people in charge over other people. And that's in the family, in the church, in business, in commerce, and in the state. And all of that comes from God. And that's because God knows we need authority over us. Uh, you only have to read uh, for the last seven chapters or so. Uh, five or six chapters of of the book of Judges to know how necessary it is that there be a king to keep everyone from doing what's right in his own eyes instead. Uh, And so masters, notice that being champions of the downtrodden, being champions of the oppressed, doesn't mean champions of those that are under authority. There's a difference between authority and oppression or oppressive authority. And while some would have us believe today that all authority is oppressive, sadly, we have given them leave in some sense to believe that because many in authority have been oppressive in that authority. But it is not necessary. It is not essential to authority to oppress. The Lord teaches us this very clearly here. You have a master in heaven. And who could ever say that God's authority is oppressive? And so we start from there, we recognize that authority is an institution of the Lord. And so it's not necessarily, it's not essentially oppressive authority, that is. Rather, it is something that God has given to us because he loves us and would protect us from ourselves. And if we're honest, we're all going to remember that there are times when we need authority over us to correct us. So, these are important things to remember as we we remember this this part here. But then, let's not uh, bypass the direct teaching of this passage. And that is, that those of you who are in authority, be very careful how you exercise that authority. James will go so far to say in 3.1, that let not many of you become masters, knowing that we shall incur the greater condemnation, is the literal translation of the original there. There's a greater condemnation that comes with authority. You have a greater responsibility. You will respond to God in ways that people under authority will not respond. So these are very, very important. But notice also that knowing that we have a master in in heaven is not just a negative. It's not just don't oppress. It is also lead properly. All of that is included in just this little phrase here. I mean, there's sermon upon sermon there if we would think about it, right? Two hours on a legal pad. Just start writing out implications from you two have a master in heaven. And you're going to hear, you're going to hear, masters, those of you that are in authority, you fathers and you mothers, you bosses in business, you managers, uh, pastors, elders, people that are in charge in the state. Not only don't oppress, but take hold of authority rightly and lead. Don't be afraid. Have the courage to lead in righteousness because you will give account to God. So, wonderful things to be said there. Um, Of course, the enemy of our souls would pervert that. He would have anarchy instead or oppression on the other side. We don't want that. We want the Goldilocks version. We want it to be just right. Exactly according to the scripture. Okay. So that's verse 1. Now the apostle will will speak directly to the Colossians and tell them to continue in prayer. Uh, Keep in mind that in the original this is a second person plural imperative. So it assumes a habit and a practice and it encourages to continue in that habit. Beloved, continue in prayer. If you haven't started yet, then start so you can continue in prayer. That's the point, right? The people of God ought to have a regular practice in prayer, but not just asking. Watch in the same with thanksgiving. And the word watch here, how many of you know someone named Gregory? Yeah, many of you do, right? The word Gregoria in Greek means to be watchful. This is the word that's used here. And often the word watch is translated for a word that, that would speak to us about, you know, there are times when it will be necessary for us to, quote, watch in prayer. Not just to be diligent and, and uh, circumspect in our prayers. Not just to be aware, right, instead of praying in a rote fashion. Okay, so, so to watch with, with that kind of intelligence and awareness that we ought to be praying. But sometimes also to lose sleep and to pray instead what the ancients used to call a watch or a vigil in prayer. So sometimes that will be necessary as well. And then thirdly, notice we have thanksgiving. It's not just asking. It's also giving thanks. Proper prayer is always giving thanks as well as asking. Now Paul will uh, speak about a, a particular request, praying for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ For which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. So verses 3 and 4 there take up quite a little bit of space on uh, Paul praying that the ministry would go forward. Well, that is a wonderful prayer. Your minister desires that you would pray that for me and for other ministers of the gospel that are living today and preaching That the Lord would be pleased to advance his word, that they would speak it as they ought to speak, make manifest that mystery of Christ, and so on. No matter if they're in bonds or if it's costly or not. All right, so then notice also, and I think that we might say that Paul is still speaking about prayer here when he says, Let your speech always. be with grace seasoned with salt. You should pray that you in your speech might have an answer to give to every man. A good testimony to the grace of Christ. A wonderful testimony and an example as to how we live and adorn our profession of faith with our actions and with our words. So all of those things are, I think, included here that we should pray for that. And notice we should put feet to those prayers that our speech would always be seasoned with salt. And whenever we see that in Scripture, we remember that salt is something that was placed on all of the sacrifices. Every sacrifice was to be seasoned with salt to give them, according to the human nose, savor. According to God's spiritual nose, you know what I mean when I say that, he smelled the savor of Christ in those offerings. Okay? All right, so now we we turn to some housekeeping affairs here at the close of the book. Paul is sending two men to the Colossians to inform them of his affairs. The first is is what we might call an evangelist. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. And so he is that ancient office of evangelist. And we do have to pause for a moment. Because we hear about evangelists running loose on the landscape today, but historically in the Presbyterian church, we have, uh, we have taught and professed, and I believe gleaned from the Bible, this is my view as well, that the office of evangelist was extraordinary. Remember that Timothy will be told to do the work of an evangelist. Let me ask you this question. When do we ever see Timothy say, out on a street corner preaching. We don't. What do we see Timothy doing? Carrying apostolic errands from one end of the church to the other and doing things under the authority and cover of the apostle Paul and working for him like Titus did in Crete and like Tychicus will do here in Colossae. These men were extraordinary officers in the church. They went from place to place with apostolic authority to do apostolic things. There's no such thing as the office of evangelists now. In our denomination, what we say is we can give a man, quote, power of evangelist, And what we mean by that terminology is not that we make him an evangelist, but that we send him out to plant a church somewhere. Okay? And the reason we have to say this today is because there's a a couple of new startup denominations that have said that the office of evangelist is part of the essay of the church, not a part of the bene essay of the church. What that means in highfalutin theological language is if you follow the implication, if you don't have an evangelist in your church, you're not a true church. Now that's just silly. It's unhistorical. It's unpresbyterian. We don't unchurch people over a name, over a word. Let's rather uh, hold these things in their proper biblical and historical understanding. Okay, so Tychicus is an evangelist and he is sent. But there's another man that goes with him and his name is Onesimus. And we'll read about Onesimus in the book of Philemon. He also belonged to the Colossian church. He was in the household of one Philemon who was either an officer or a rich patron of the Colossian church. It's hard to know which one. And Onesimus was a runaway slave that Paul the Apostle sent back to the household of Philemon that he might minister to him again now as a beloved brother. Okay? So some have said we have this extended portion here speaking about uh, slaves in the book of Colossians. Why would that be? Well, maybe because of that circumstance. Maybe there was a little bit more that needed to be said in Colossae regarding servants, slaves. In the house. So Onesimus goes back also, and he's going back to Philemon's house, make no mistake there, and they will make known all that the apostle is doing in prison. And then also, Tychicus is set specifically to comfort their hearts that is, to speak the word of God to them from the apostle Paul that they might be comforted. Now we have several other people here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas. Who is Mark? Well, it's the author of the gospel. Paul's speaking about John Mark, the author of the gospel. And remember that there was a time in apostolic history, we see it in Acts chapter 15 and then specifically in chapter 16, where there is a dispute that rose up between Barnabas and Paul over this very man because they got to Antioch, Pisidia and... Mark said, that's enough, I've had it. I'm going back. They left, or he left the work early. He did not stay and weather the labors that Paul and Barnabas both weathered. And so, when it was time to go on missionary journey number two, Barnabas said, well, let's take Mark again. And Paul said, let's not. Right? Well, now we know the connection between Barnabas and Mark. Right? Mark was... Barnabas's nephew. So no wonder he wanted to take him. There was this close family tie. He believed that his influence over his nephew would prevent that from happening again. <clears throat> Excuse me. But Paul said no. And so the disagreement we hear arose so sharply between them that they went two different ways. Barnabas took Mark and went to Cyprus. Right? And Paul went back into Asia Minor and then Uh, on that second missionary journey into, uh, uh, yeah, north of Achaia. Macedonia, there it is, into Macedonia, right? And, And we'll read about that in the next book in 1 Thessalonians. But notice what it says here about Mark. You have received a letter concerning him. If he comes, receive him. So note that that estrangement that took place did not last. That there was restoration that there was a proper handling of a disagreement in the church that ends up now being set to rest and reconciliation takes place instead. What a good example that the Lord has seen fit by his Holy Spirit to know that we would know, that we would hear, and that we would make use of in those unhappy times where we end up estranged from one another through some argument or misunderstanding that we might also be restored one to another. So that's what we see here. Uh, So Jesus, who is called Justice, I wouldn't be the first commentator, not that I consider myself a commentator, to say that Jesus is called Justice because he didn't want to be known by the same name his Lord was known. This is an act of humility on his part. And so we hear humility here in these names also. And so notice... These only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. And I think what Paul means only is that they are, they are the ones of the circumcision that have stayed with me. I think that's what he means there. Now we hear about Epaphras, uh, who is one of you, uh, a, a minister who had visited Paul. And notice uh, Epaphras's example and practice that he labors fervently, for the Colossian church in prayer, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Interesting, isn't it? Uh, This harkens back to chapter 1, verse 28. Listen to what Paul says there. Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. This is what Epaphras is praying for. Perhaps, perhaps, That language was first in the mouth of Epaphras and then in the mouth of the Apostle Paul by the Holy Spirit. That every man would be perfect and complete in Christ. So he has a great zeal, and not only for them, but for Laodicea and Hierapolis as well. And then we hear about, of course, Luke, the beloved physician. And one more, uh, or two more men that are mentioned. uh, Nymphus, the church which is in his house, And then we hear about Archippus. We don't know exactly what's going on with Archippus here. But notice that Archippus has been given a ministry from the Lord. And now stands in need of encouragement to that ministry. Okay. Okay. So while we may not know all the circumstances that surround that, we know that the Spirit of God has placed these things in the word that we would hear them and that we would take note of them. Pray then for the ministry of the word. Pray for the ministers in the gospel that they would do what? Fulfill that ministry that they have received from the Lord. Uh, the Apostle Paul will say later in his life that from, that from uh, Jerusalem to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of God. He took the ministry in hand, didn't he? We want that for every minister of the word. All right, so then we have the reference to the church of Laodicea, that it would be read there. And uh, scholars in the past have said, this is a sign, uh, an indication that Paul knew that he was writing scripture, that he might demand that this book that he has just completed here, that it might be read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that the letter that the church received in Laodicea, which is probably the Ephesian epistle, that that would be read in the Colossian church as well. And this is is indicative that like his counterpart Peter, he knew that he was writing the very word of God, and it needed to be read to all the churches. Okay? finally then we have his sign off and his final exhortation to the people remember my bonds and what does he mean in prayer remember my bonds in prayer pray for me while I am in prison that I might be delivered or if not delivered that I might be provided for or if not provided for that I might fully preach the kingdom of God here in prison right and then grace be with you Amen. We come to the close of Colossians chapter 4. Let's stand.